All right, it is so great to be with you this morning, and I truly appreciate Brian Davis's prayer and for reaching out to our brothers and sisters in Transnistria. Anytime we go through crisis, there's two places we want to look. We want to look to the Lord because he's an ever-present help in time of trouble. And uh, as uh, Mr. Rogers used to say, who was a believer, he, he said, look for the helpers because so often it's the believers who are running into danger, looking for ways to help. And so we stand with and we support um, all of our brothers and sisters there who are Christians. We give them our prayers, and we want to continue to do that this week. Well, we are going to talk a little bit today about some of the battles. Uh, it's, it is great to be with you. Uh, many of you here today love tennis, and I had the joy and the privilege of playing tennis in high school and middle school. We had singles players and we had doubles players. Anybody ever played tennis here before? Uh, yeah, whether good or not good, you know, maybe you hit a few balls around, kind of fun. Well, in doubles tennis, you play with a partner and you and your partner uh, play against another team. And uh, so many times when I played doubles with my partner, we would find ourselves in this confusing experience where somebody from the other team hit a ball right down the middle and it would be right in between me and my partner. Have you ever had one of those moments and you're like, do you take it? Do I take it? You really don't know who's supposed to hit the ball. And uh, oftentimes one of two things would happen. Either we would both go for it and we would like smack each other's tennis racket. That happens from time to time. Or we would both turn and give the other person the... Uh, I thought you had it look. Well, the ball just goes, zips right on by. Well, the reason I share that story is because we want to talk about today our part and God's part. And so often in our relationship with God, we can have that kind of confusing experience where it's like, is this God's part or is it our part? I don't know if you've ever asked that before, but uh, it's, a, it's a question that I often have. You know, uh, we can say in our life, we can really lean to one extreme. Oh, God's got it. I don't have to, I don't have to study. Uh, God's got it. I don't need to pray about it. I don't need to plan for the future. God's going to take care of it. And then there's the other extreme where it's like, I got to take care of this. Right? I got to get some control here because my family's depending on me. My work's depending on me. My future depends on me. And we, we go through this tension between God's part and, and our part. So which is it? Is it God's sovereignty or human responsibility? And the answer is yes. It is. It's yes. We are wrapping up a series here today called Beautiful Tension. We've looked at some of the tensions of the Christian life. Like... If God forgives all of our sin, why do I need to confess it? We are in the world, but not of the world. We suffer, yet we have hope. And today we want to wrestle with this tension of our part and God's part. Which is it? One of the things we've seen throughout this series is that God doesn't answer all of our questions. Don't you hate that? Wouldn't it be nice if God answered all of our questions? He, I sure would appreciate that. But he doesn't answer all of our questions. And many times God gives us tensions to live in. 
Now, why would God do that? As any uh, one would tell you who has been an athlete or, or trained or, you know, worked out, as I learned in tennis, attention produces growth. And, and I want to invite you today. You begin to feel some of those tensions in life. And some of the questions rise up in your Christian life. Don't avoid that. You want to lean into the tension. Because tension gives us opportunity for growth. It gives us a, it gives us a chance to deepen our relationship with God. So God actually likes to put us in the tension. Have you ever noticed that before? He allows us to go through the tension because tension produces growth. So one of the tensions we often face is this tension between God's part and our part. And it could be that you have a big financial decision to make. Could be you have some anxiety about a situation or it could be that you just want your, your kids to make wise decisions or to put their trust in Jesus Christ. And sometimes in life it can feel like that tennis ball coming between two players. And it's like, okay, God, you know, what, what, what exactly am I supposed to do here and what exactly are you going to do? You ever been in that situation before? My wife and I have this conversation all the time. Things come up, a situation, or we need to make a decision. We're constantly talking about, okay, what's God's part and what's our part? Because the biggest desire of our heart is that we would know the will of God so that we can live out his purpose for our life. For every one of us today, that's a huge opportunity for growth as we navigate the tension here between our part and God's part. So how do we do that? What exactly is God, God's part? What is our part? I want to help us to wrestle with that by taking us to the story of King Hezekiah. Now, you may remember King Hezekiah from our series on Isaiah back in the fall. We studied chapters 1 through 39. And beginning next week, we're going we're gonna to dive back into Isaiah for our incredible study of chapters 40 through 66. So you're not going to want to miss that. Come back next week. Um, the second half of Isaiah really is incredible. But today I want to show you how Isaiah, or excuse me, how Hezekiah, getting ahead of myself, how Hezekiah, in the middle of a fight, in the middle of a battle, in the middle of uncertainty about the future, was able to navigate this balance between our part and God's part. What does that look like? Look at the story of King Hezekiah. And then I want to take you to the book of Proverbs. We'll see a principle in the book of Proverbs and we'll apply that to our life. Well, that's what we have going on for us today. Going to be a great morning. Let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity we have today to come and to learn your word. God, your word is powerful. Your word is life-changing. And we depend on you in so many ways. We, we come today with our fears. We come with, with our insecurities. We come with great anxieties. 
about what's going on in the world. And we don't know what to do. But we know you are an all-powerful God. So help us to understand that you've given us a part to play, but you have an important part to play too. So teach us your word. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're looking at the story here of King Hezekiah. We want to start there, and we want to see how he lived out this balance between God's part and our part. Who was King Hezekiah? And when, you, when we think about the great kings of the Bible, our mind often goes to King David, King Solomon, and, of course, King Hezekiah. In 2015, archaeologists announced an amazing discovery that put even the most, uh, quieted even the most vocal skeptics of the Bible. They had unearthed, and this is 2015, just a few years ago, the royal seal of King Hezekiah. This is King Hezekiah's personal seal. It was found in the royal city, the city of Jerusalem. Dates back to King Hezekiah. It's written in Hebrew. And uh, I have a hard time reading that. But if you can read Hebrew, it says very clearly, stamp, this stamped clay seal. It's about a, a one centimeter. This is a small seal, but it's the personal seal of the royal King Hezekiah. It clearly reads, belonging to Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah. Pretty amazing. We're talking about a real king today who ruled in Jerusalem. Isn't it amazing, church family, how again and again archaeology proves the trustworthiness of Scripture? We have a trustworthy Bible. And these are not made-up stories. These are, these are real events that happened. So we'll, we'll see a little bit more archaeology as we go through the message today. But um, who, who is Hezekiah? What does Scripture say? Well, 2 Kings 18 describes his reign. And I can give you a quick summary here. Uh, number one, Hezekiah ruled as king in Jerusalem from 715 to 686 B.C. Now, Hezekiah reigned during some of the most trying times during Israel's history, and yet the summary of his life, the, the single banner over King Hezekiah's life is that he trusted the Lord. Oh, excuse me, let's show the verse here. Who was King Hezekiah? Number one, Hezekiah, this is from 2 Kings 18, 1 to 2. Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, oh, that's interesting, it's just like on the seal. Oh, wow. Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old. Okay, all you 20-year-olds here today, you can do hard things. Hezekiah can reign over an entire nation. Uh, you can reign over whatever God has given you to do today. When Hezekiah became king, he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. An amazing king reigned during trying times. And here it is. Here's the summary of Hezekiah's life, the banner over all that he did. He trusted in the Lord. And King Hezekiah was known as a man of faith. 2 Kings 18, 5 through 7. Here it is. You want to know Hezekiah? He trusted in the Lord. If you've ever read the book of Kings or Chronicles, you know that every king, it either says they're a good king or a bad king. 
Hezekiah is a good king. Uh, he restored worship in the temple. Uh, he, he brought people back to God. We see under his leadership a great revival of faith because Hezekiah was a man of God. He was a man of faith. He inspired a nation to return to God. And it goes on to say here, this is so incredible. It says, There was none like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. Man, would that be true of me at the end of my life? He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. The Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. That is amazing. What an amazing king. King Hezekiah, he was successful in whatever he undertook because he trusted in the Lord. Well, what did he undertake? Pretty amazing what he undertook. Number three, he rebelled against the king of Assyria. Success in life rarely comes without great adversity. It really is. The, the great ones are really those who rise up in times of adversity. And for, for Hezekiah, adversity came through the king of Assyria. Verse 7 tells us, he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. And during the lifetime of King Hezekiah, Assyria was a, a dominating and, and terrifying empire. And you can see from this map how uh, Assyria uh, started out in the purple and just began bringing the whole world under their control as they crushed their enemies, took over lands, and um, they would do it with a... a a shock with these shock campaigns of, of cruelty, violence, and brutality. And, and they were often known for that. No wonder uh, Jonah didn't want to go to Assyria. These are pretty bad dudes. And uh, they, they certainly had begun to oppress the kingdom of Judah. They had crushed the northern kingdom of, of Assyria in 722. And Hezekiah just says, you know what? We're not going to serve the king of Assyria. We're not going to do that. We're going to be free. And you can imagine the kind of faith it took to say, you know what? Whatever happens, we are not serving the king of Assyria. And you know when the king of Assyria finds out, he's coming for the city. And so Hezekiah makes that decision in 705 B.C. In 701 B.C., here comes the king of Assyria. And he's brought a massive army. They surround the city. Everyone in the city is terrified. Reminds me of the situation in Ukraine. The Russians have surrounded the entire city. And Hezekiah truly was locked up in the city like a bird in a cage. And he begins to pray to the Lord. And, and he, he seeks Isaiah the prophet. And they begin praying. And he gets the encouragement he needs from the prophet. And he goes back out to the city. And he begins to encourage everyone around him. And I want you to hear what he says. These words of faith from 2 Chronicles 32, 7 and 8. This is what Hezekiah said to the people in that terrifying moment. He said, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. 
For there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. Is anyone here today gaining some confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah? I am today. Anyone? What amazing words. And I hope you'll write down this reference from 2 Chronicles. You'll take it, take it home with you. Write out this verse. Meditate it on it. Put it on your bathroom mirror. Because when we have moments when we're afraid, and when discouragement comes, and it does, when we are confused and we don't know where to look, what does Hezekiah say? It says, the army may be big, the enemy may be great, but our God is greater. The God who is with us is stronger, mightier, and more powerful than any battle that stands in front of us. See, God is with you. He's with you in the battle. And he is strong in the battle. The God with you is stronger inside of you than the enemy coming against you. Don't be afraid. Only believe. But do you notice as we talk about our part and God's part, what is God's part? What does Hezekiah believe? Did you see it there? It says that God is with us to what? To help us and to fight our battles. Hezekiah knew he couldn't defeat the enemy on his own. He needed God to defeat this enemy. Right? The Bible says our help comes from the Lord. And, and if you read the story, you know that at the end of the day, it wasn't Hezekiah that defeated the enemy. The Lord defeated the enemy in one night. Remember, 185,000 troops are, are, are killed by the angel of the Lord. And the king of Assyria runs back to his capital. God won the victory because the battle belongs to the Lord and every victory comes from him. And that's what we believe today. As Hezekiah is trusting God for the victory, as he's encouraging the people around him, he does something that I find very interesting. And that's number four. Hezekiah built a tunnel. He built a tunnel. Very interesting. The water supply for the city of Jerusalem at that time was not inside the city. People had to go outside the city to get their wall, water, outside the city wall at the spring of Gihon. Go visit it today. And Hezekiah says, we got to bring the water supply from outside the city to inside the city. Because imagine if the Assyrians come, they surround the city, and they take control of the water supply outside the city. The people inside the city aren't going to have any water. They'll be doomed. So in preparation for this coming Assyrian invasion, Hezekiah builds a tunnel to bring the water supply from outside the city to inside the city. We read about Hezekiah's tunnel in 2 Kings 20. Remember, we're talking about our part and God's part here. 2 Kings 2.20 says this, As for the other events of Hezekiah's reign, all his achievements... And how he made the pool and the tunnel, there it is, by which he brought water into the city, 
Are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? Second Chronicles 2.32 also mentions Hezekiah's tunnel, but this time it gives us a little more detail. Second Chronicles, 2, uh, 2 Chronicles 32, 2 through 4, and verse 20. When Hezekiah saw Sennacherib, this is the king of Assyria, had come and that he intended to wage war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his officials and military staff about blocking off the water from the springs outside the city, and they helped him. He gathered a large group of people who blocked all the springs and the stream that flowed through the land. Why should the king, kings of Assyria come and find plenty of water? I mean, we don't want to leave water on the table for them. Why should they find water? They said it was Hezekiah who blocked the upper outlet of the Gihon Spring and channeled the water down to the west side of the city of David. That's Jerusalem. Here's what's amazing. You can go to Jerusalem today and you can actually visit... Hezekiah's tunnel. There it is. It was discovered in 1838. No surprise, they found it exactly how the Bible described it. That's shocking. <clears throat> but it was truly far more spectacular than anyone had imagined. Look at that tunnel. Can you imagine chiseling through that rock? This is what the tunnel looks like under the city of Jerusalem. Next slide. And you have the Gihon Spring all the way to the Pool of Siloam. It's where Jesus healed a blind man in the Gospels. So Hezekiah, the army's coming. And they've got to build a tunnel to get the water from outside the city to the inside of the city. So they start with two teams. Two teams go to work. One at one end, the other at the other end. And they chisel a 1,750-foot tunnel under the city of Jerusalem through solid rock in an S-shaped curve. Help the water flow. Not in a straight line, in an S-shaped curve. And they met exactly in the middle. Now, if you and I were tunneling underground, I might end up a bit lower than you, and you might be a little bit higher, or we might miss each other a little bit to the left or the right. Not these guys. They met right in the middle. There's an inscription there. It talks about how they did it. To this day, People are baffled by this. How did they do that? Hezekiah built a tunnel. It's pretty amazing. So here's our simple observation today. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, but he also built a tunnel. And I think we see in Hezekiah somebody who had the right balance between God's part and our part. I appreciate deeply how Hezekiah trusted in God and he truly believed in God's supernatural power to deliver the city 
from his enemy. But I also love how Hezekiah said, you know what, we're going to put some hard work into this. We're going to put some ingenuity in this to save some lives if need be. And he prayed and he got wisdom from counselors. He, he sought spiritual counsel from the prophet Isaiah. He did all those things. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, but he also built a tunnel. He didn't say, hey, everyone, we're trusting the Lord. And if God wants there to be a tunnel, he'll put a tunnel in there. No, he didn't do that. He built the tunnel, and it took some hard work. It was a feat of engineering. Maybe Hezekiah wasn't. I would say, no, the banner over his life is Hezekiah trusted in the Lord. It doesn't mean that Hezekiah didn't trust God. It means he trusted God so much. He believed that God could use this thing, these little things we call means, to bring about a greater victory that would ultimately bring glory to God. That's the balance we see in Hezekiah. He built a tunnel. But notice, he didn't trust in his tunnel. Oh, guys, we got our tunnel. He wasn't trusting in the tunnel. Do you guys see that? Trusting in the Lord. We don't depend on our own strength. We don't depend on our own works. Our confidence isn't in the flesh. Our confidence comes from the Lord. Just like Hezekiah, the power comes from our God who can save. He built a tunnel and trusted in the Lord. We have the same experience as Christians. When it comes to our salvation, we're not saved by what we do. We're saved by what Christ has done. And God sent his son, Jesus. He loved you so much. He came to do what we could never do, to pay the price we could never pay. Right? Giving his life as a sacrifice for sin, defeating death and winning the victory. And today we have forgiveness, and eternal life because of what God has done in Jesus Christ. Right? Salvation is God's part. Trust and obey is our part. Both are necessary. Both matter. Hezekiah seems to find this balance in his life between what only God can do, and what's necessary for us to do. So what's the principle? He trusted in the Lord. He also built a tunnel. And I just want to encourage you today with this simple principle. We do our best, and we trust God with the rest. I want to take you now from one king to another. From King Hezekiah to King Solomon. Listen to what Solomon wrote in the book of Proverbs. What, what kind of book is the book of Proverbs? What do we get in Proverbs? Wisdom, right? It's a wisdom book. So Solomon is giving us here a principle we can live by. And this is what he says. He says, the horse is made ready for the day of battle. But victory rests with the Lord. Isn't that what? Hezekiah did. Horse 
is made ready for the battle, but the victory rests with the Lord. And so King Solomon breaks down our part and God's part with uh, two simple thoughts. Number one, preparation is our part. Did you see that? First he says the horse is made ready for the day of battle. He's talking about the idea of preparation. Now Solomon was king. And he had the responsibility of leading the army out into battle and making sure that army was ready to go when that day of battle came. And it, it was actually King Solomon. One of the ways he did this, King Solomon, it was he actually was the first king in Israel to add horses to his army. Now, war horses at that time were the very best in military technology. Armies that had them had a superior advantage on the battlefield. And so Solomon, as you'll read in 1 Kings 10, began to add thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands upon thousands of war horses into his army, all of which had to be trained, cared for, managed, and maintained. And Solomon says, the horse has to be ready on the day of battle. Preparation is our part. But with all the major things in our life, we have the God-given responsibility of managing them. We should be as prepared as we can be for the things we're facing in our life. It's something the Bible calls wisdom. And to quote the legendary coach, John Wooden, failing to prepare is what? Preparing to fail. So how do we apply this principle to our, our life? Our part is to prepare. Some of you are students here today. You have the, the amazing opportunity of going to school and uh, gaining knowledge. And when the, the test comes, how prepared are you? Have you diligently studied? Have you given your best to your assignments and your schoolwork? Maybe it's financial stress. A lot of us have financial stress these days. And, uh, you know, we... Maybe it could be uh, sitting down and, and having a conversation where someone says, hey, are, are, are you prepared for the next paycheck? Are you prepared for the next bill? Um, how, how are you planning your spending so that you're managing your finances in a God-honoring way? You know, giving to the Lord and honoring God with all of your finances. Preparation is our part. Uh, one of the reasons I can come up here and speak confidently today is because I worked hard this week preparing for this message. I had a mentor who was a pastor, and he used to joke all the time about, you know, guys who get up and preach, and they're like, like oh man, I had a busy week. The Holy Spirit's going to have to speak through me today. And he's like, why does the Holy Spirit always get credit for our unpreparation? Like, I want the Holy Spirit to move through my preparation. And I'm, I'm always like, I've always thought about that, and uh, it's just been an encouragement for me. But I think Solomon knew that in his life, his job was just to take everything that God had given him, right, to prepare in every way that he could, to do his best, and to ultimately give the rest up to the Lord. 
Our part is to prepare, but the real power comes from what we find next. And that's victory is God's part. Victory is God's part. As Solomon says here in this proverb, Proverbs 21, 31, victory rests with the Lord. I want to say this one more time because it has the word rest in it. Okay? Victory rests in the Lord. I think we need to, I think we need to say this more often in our lives. Victory rests with the Lord. And here's what Solomon learned. After managing an entire kingdom and all the policies and all the opportunities that came with it, ultimately he knew this. He realized, I can't control all the outcomes in my life. He realized, I can't do that. I don't, I don't control all of those outcomes. I don't always control how other people respond. And so he had learned to prepare and to do his best, but the second thing he had learned was to trust God with the rest. We do our best and trust God with the rest. What does that look like? Maybe you're here today, you're worried about your kids, you're worried about some of the decisions they're making, or you're worried about their direction, you know, in their life. And, and you can only control what you can control. I think Solomon would say, to you today, do your best, but trust God with the rest because the victory rests with the Lord. Maybe you're anxious about work and, and uh, you're just worked up about a, a project that's coming up and, and it's a big project, it's all consuming. I think Solomon might say to you today, just do your best. Hey, but don't forget, you want to trust God with the rest because the outcome depends on the Lord. Maybe it's uh, your marriage is in trouble. You're, you're, there's a loss of trust. Your spouse has grown cold or distant. You want to fight for your marriage, but you don't know where to start. You can't control that other person. I think God would say to you, now is the time to give that relationship your very best and then trust God with the rest. The victory rests in the Lord. Salvation belongs to him. I like how Proverbs 21.31 reads in the message, which is a, a paraphrase of the scripture. It says, do your best, prepare for the worst, and then trust God to bring the victory. You guys like that? That really captures the wisdom that King Solomon is trying to give us today. It captures the wisdom of King Hezekiah. Do your best. Prepare for the worst, and then trust God to bring the victory. That's having the humility to say, I can't control all the situations. I can't control all the outcomes. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do what only I can do. I'm going to give God what I can't do, and I'm just going to trust him in everything. Do your best. Trust God with the rest. Don't forget, our victory rests in the hands of Jesus. Let me pray. God, in this moment, as we humble ourselves and pray, thank you that you are an all-powerful God, that you're with us, 
And today, we surrender the battle to you. We surrender all the battles at work. We surrender the battles over health, relationship difficulties. We thank you, God, that you are an ever-present help in time of trouble. And so in no way do we depend on our flesh. We don't depend on our own strength. We don't trust in what we can do. Our trust today is in the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. I pray, God, that you would give us courage to do hard things. Forgive us for not giving you our very best because you are worthy of that, God. When we give you our best, it's a way of, of glorifying and honoring your name. We want to do that. So we ask for the courage and the strength today that arises from knowing that at the very heart of it all, you're a God who loves us deeply, who's more powerful than we can imagine, and who has our very destiny in your, hand, in our, in your hands. You will fulfill your purpose for our lives. Thank you, Jesus. So we commit to you this morning projects, we commit to you the plans, we commit to you the finances, we commit to you the relationships, and we ask you, God, to do what only you can do. We say those four difficult and important words, I trust you, Lord. I trust you. Thank you, God, that you will bring glory to your name that we can be still and know that you are God. We love you, God. We thank you for this morning. Strengthen us now as we sing these songs of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.